What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode seven of Trinity Music, a hip hop podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and I'm joined today by Adam. As Trinity Music, we will be coming to you each week with a new podcast that will discuss everything going on in hip hop. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Trinity Music Pod. If you have questions, comments, or concerns you want to air to the podcast, you can email us at trinitymusicpod at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. On today's episode, we'll go over some of the new singles from T.I., Trippy Red, and Spillage Village. Then later in the podcast, we'll discuss B.O.B.'s newest album, Somnia, and talk about his career trajectory. But first, we must absolutely start with Conway the Machines from King to a God. Yes, exactly. We've got Conway's debut studio album after, I think, nine mixtapes to date and just solo ones. He's done uh, numerous collaborations as well, and it's been brewing over the last five years. Uh, I think the fact, I'm just going to get right into this, I think the fact that this is his first studio album makes a lot of sense because this is definitely his most cohesive body of work to date. He himself has admitted that uh, before this album, writing he would never write music past a single. It would always just be a bunch of uh, Lucy's essentially on everything. And I think that shows a lot in this music. Uh, I definitely have some moments that I'm not 100% pleased with, but uh, we'll get into that as we go over the songs. What did you think, Jordan? Yeah, I, I really love this album. And I think that's a big classification there to call it an album because this is the first time that I've listened to Conway. And it's sounded like a not necessarily a cohesive process because he's had a lot of cohesive projects, mostly because he tends to work with just one producer at a time. Mm -hmm. I think part of it has to do with the fact that the length of the album, that it's, as far as I can tell, his longest project ever. And another part of it is the variety in the production. But I think mostly it's because Conway has just gotten better at rapping. Of course. You know, he explained that in the album title that he's feeling, that he has a feeling that he's elevated, not only lyrically, but as a businessman over the past couple of years and you can feel it in his flow and his voice that it's gotten stronger and his confidence is it's unrelenting right now. I, I think that's one of the underlying messages just in the, the title of, of itself being from King to a God, maybe like elevating, but you, you really think that it, like album wise, like you're a bigger fan. So I, I'll take your word for it, but it seems like a lot of his music in the past cohesive sound wise, but not necessarily substance wise for me at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So from uh, a sound perspective, absolutely. Like the two other projects he like he did this year were Lulu, that was produced entirely by The Alchemist, and No One Mourns the Wicked, which was produced entirely by Big Ghost Ltd. And all of those have like a really tight Griselda template where it's you know twenty to thirty minutes, and you kind of know what you're gonna get when you're going into the album. I found here that Conway, between the different the variety and the production, he was able to switch it up a little bit and keep things interesting yeah like you said the subject matter generally is always going to say the same with a, any kind of hardcore gangster rap but here the little differences he has and i do think we get moments and we'll talk about it where he's a lot more personable than he has been in the past and he's a lot more emotionally vulnerable of course with the passing of dj shay that there are moments on the album where he's a lot more emotionally vulnerable but generally i found it's it's a more complete project not necessarily saying it's his best project because i don't think we're there yet and it's also i think way too soon to make any type of proclamation like that but it's definitely his most complete body of work so far yeah i can agree with that absolutely and then just last thing is he's mentioned that this album is essentially an appetizer for his shady records debut which has a pretty similar name title i believe it's god doesn't make mistakes yeah so we'll see and, and he's said it's going to come out in october i don't totally believe that and i have some ideas for what kind of songs we're gonna get on that album but yeah let's get let's get into this uh song by song breakdown 
Sure. I think we should start just with uh, From King, because obviously it's the first song. He starts off the album with a quote from Alan Watts, which explains what it is to be a god. And Alan explains that to be a god is to feel deeply rooted and connected with the universe. It made a lot of sense for Conway to do this in the intro. Some artists will choose to do it later in the album. But since this is technically his introductory studio album, at the very least, it makes sense to to get to the point for a lot of people. And I, I suppose Conway heard Alan explain this and realized that he himself was a god and no longer a king. I found it interesting. It's funny. It's a cool concept. One thing I just wanted to to know is, do we now just call him Conway the god or is he still Conway the machine? I think he's always the machine. I mean, you look at that. He's basically putting out three, four albums. That's true. All these Griselda guys are. So the machine still lands, but maybe he'll be like like Daenerys Stormborn from Game of Thrones, where it's just titles on titles on titles. <laughs> so maybe it'll be Conway, the machine, the king, the god, you know, just Whoa. go on and on. Like Charlemagne the god? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we got a crossover. All right, all right. I do. I really like the opening to this album. The transition from the intro, from the Alan Watts intro you mentioned, to like this dark Derringer beat and Conway's voice just coming on and it immediately felt like a high quality album right away. Agreed. So I really love that. So then we don't have to talk too much about Fear of God or Lemon. Those are both songs that we've discussed prior on this podcast. All I'll say about Fear of God is you can, and this is slightly again where the change in sound starts happening and it's important where it's placed on the record. It's the second track and you have the Dej Low feature and it's a slightly different sound. And then all I'll say about Lemon right now is that Method Man verse has to be up there for verse of the year. Yeah, it makes sense why that came out prior to the album to get the hype up. It was amazing for sure. And the Deja Loaf feature itself uh, has been growing on me. I'm surprised. Yeah. The next song I wanted to bring up was Doug and Damani. The first time playing through this track, I already really enjoyed the first half of the song. Then when you get to the second half, I started just thinking, I was playing this passively. So I was just thinking, and I started thinking of the movie Juice with Tupac. And then I couldn't figure out why. And then he literally says, I'm Tupac in Juice. And I was like, that's too much of a coincidence. So I go back and I realized that the interlude of the album is from the movie Juice. And that obviously yep. makes a lot of sense. And Juice is a classic movie. I'm a huge fan of it. So I, I enjoyed that sample for sure. The Alchemist and Derringer double teaming on this track is just incredible. I love the, you know, it's a really nice piano loop on both tracks. And it, it just shows that you can pull off an album that has just piano loops on them. And this is, it's a bit of a tangent here because, you know, it's a Griselda album. We didn't discuss it yet, although maybe we will because Boldy Jane's like some of our tweets on Twitter this past weekend. <laughs> uh, the Versace tape, which is an album from Boldy James that came out about a month ago, was almost exclusively beats with uh, piano loops. And like I mentioned this on Twitter, it was, it's an album that's slowly been growing on me. The issue with piano loops is that it can get extremely repetitive if it's not perfectly executed. And I'll say right here that Alchemist beat on the first half of the track is just incredible. The second half of the song where the beat starts to change and it goes from, I won't say upbeat, but by comparison, it was upbeat and uh, to a much slower, darker. And you got you get more of that grimy Conway that a lot of people are a fan of. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it on I, through the, my first play. I didn't like the transition over, but playing it over a couple of times, it started to grow on me. All right. Let's get into juvenile hell. Absolutely. I have I have so many thoughts on this song and I, I'm going to start off with the most obvious one. I think this might be the most popular thought on this song so far is. So when are we getting this Lloyd Banks comeback album? <laughs> right. It sounds the same. He sounds exactly the same. He has not missed a beat. If there, if there's anything we've learned over the past few years is that older rappers can absolutely put out quality work. Think of run the jewels. Think of Freddie Gibbs. Think of Pusha T. And of course, all the Griselda guys. And 
Lloyd Banks actually isn't that old. I think he's 35. Oh, really? Yeah. So I definitely think there's something left in the tank there for Lloyd Banks. And, you know, if the Alchemist is just throwing out collaboration albums, you know, left and right, and, you know, it looks like there'll be, at least there's rumors that there's an MF Doom Alchemist album coming. You know, why not just put Lloyd Banks on the on the radar here and just maybe get something with that? I need it needs to be it would need to be a short album, 25, 30 minutes. But you heard that flow on this song. It's just it's awesome. Absolutely. It definitely won't be a G unit album because 50 Cent has recently denounced and wishes that G unit never happened, unfortunately. But uh, I agree that we could, we should get some more. When I saw the album's track list, this song definitely stuck out to me just because it's like it's a bunch of New York rappers and it, it's kind of like a short cipher. You've got Havoc, Lloyd Banks and, and Flea Lloyd as the features. These are not features you see every day, in, in my opinion. So just getting getting into the other artists that are featured on this track, Havoc's hook here is kind of reminiscent to Q-Tips on the Eminem album from earlier this year, where you kind of want it's like this old school guy. You kind of want him to just do a verse but he keeps it to a hook and it's actually the havoc's hook is like really good here and conway's talking in interviews that he essentially hit up havoc and saying like look i want something that sounds like the infamous so i think havoc did a hell of a drop here i believe he produced the track and then flea lords what an awesome verse man i i honestly haven't heard much from him i think he's been on a couple of conway albums in the past but he's definitely someone i'm gonna keep an eye on because wow what an awesome verse that was Next track I wanted to get into was Frontlines. And he mentioned this, I think think it's the first time he mentions it on the album is here on Frontlines. He mentions it again later about how he's benefiting as an independent artist, where he says, I do their streaming numbers with the vinyls and the CDs. Yes. And as someone who has tried to cop many Conway vinyls, I can attest to that because the man sells these things for 50 bucks US and they sell out in seconds. (laughs) So I full out believe the man when he says stuff like that. Also, if Someone who knows Conway is listening. My dude, please press more vinyls of Lulu. And then more about the song itself. Conway's tried to do hooks in the past, and I find it mostly doesn't work. It was like the one part of Lulu I didn't like where he sings on one of the tracks. And he does it here too, and it's not super great. It's 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 a little off. And then I wanted to get in on the second verse on this song here where he subtweets Takashi. Oh, really? But then immediate, immediately after... He gives his thoughts about police brutality. Now, look, both topics are fully warranted, and I stand with Conway on both of them. But it was just a little weird that these, where he's mentioning these two different topics back to back, I feel like they could have been in different verses because it kind of, especially in terms of police brutality and Black Lives Matter, it kind of takes away a little bit from the moment that in the lines right before he's talking about, you know, rats and running up their YouTube views. Something that's uh, bigger issues at hand type of thing. Exactly, yeah. Next song we should talk about is Anza featuring Armani Caesar. Definitely the most poppy sounding song to me, at least on the album. And the beat's made by Murder Beats, so that kind of makes a lot of sense. I did notice that uh, Armani's feature definitely rips off like a lot of her flow and her persona from Nicki Minaj. I'm, I'm curious if you got any of that. A little bit, yeah. It's She was all right on the song, and she's dropping an album this, this Friday, so I'll definitely give it a listen because... Again, she's another artist signed to Griselda, so you know Westside didn't sign her for no reason. So yeah, she's been all right, and I enjoyed her the first single she that came out on her album featuring Benny. And then, like you mentioned, Murder Beats and Conway, not a combo I thought I would see in 2020. <laughs> that said, Conway does ride this trap beat pretty well. And then just to give Murder Beats praise, because I find I don't know how many times I'll be giving him praise on this podcast because he's just another one of these generic trap producers. 
But I will say he had a really clean kick drum at the beginning of Conway's third verse, I think. I didn't expect that type of little detail to be paid to a Murder Beat song, but it was actually really nice. What I wanted to get in, though, on this song is I am pretty sure this was supposed to be featuring Drake. Oh, what made you think that? So Conway had teased a track list back in May, and Drake was a feature on a song produced by Murder Beats. Makes a lot of sense. And now if you the the track list itself, a lot of the songs that carry over, I believe Spurs 3 was on there. The Freddie Gibbs track was on there, but with a different name. I'm pretty sure Lemon was on there. And just the fact that I'm not sure Conway has rapped over that many Murder Beats tracks. So, and the fact that Armani came in here, I'm thinking, and then actually there's also on that May track list, there was a 2 Chains feature on a song. So I'm wondering if, because the Shady Records album is coming pretty soon, I'm wondering if they pulled the Drake verse and the entire 2 Chains song and they're holding that for the Shady Records. That makes a lot of sense. That's a big brain move on their part. I wouldn't be surprised. He wants his big Shady debut to be as big as possible, so that makes a lot of sense. Next song we should get into is Seen Everything But Jesus, which is, of course, the Freddie Gibbs feature. This is easily one of my biggest letdowns on this album, simply because, uh, right? I don't know if you feel the same, but the the singing is just, it's so bad. It's awful, and it ruined the song for me. What did you think? Yeah, I didn't know this song featured R&B legend Freddie Gibbs. (laughs) Oh, boy. Look, I will say Freddie does save his verse at the end where he says, saw snow on TikTok and said it's over for the streets. I really enjoyed that line, so it kind of saves it. But yeah, there's a lot of singing on this track. And again, it's another one of these songs, along with Fear of God and Anza, that it sounds different, that it's what makes it the album actually sound like an album rather than a mixtape because it's a little bit more, not necessarily polished, but it feels a little bit like Conway tried to paint on all parts of the canvas rather than focus on one small corner. I see what you're talking so about. I'll give him props for that. But yeah, I wasn't... I wasn't super into this song either. I've been, I've been trying to. I mean, for God's sakes, it's Conway the Machine and Freddie Gibbs. It should definitely work. Exactly. And it does it does to an extent, but not completely. That was the exact vibe I got. I went into it. I was just off the Freddie feature. I was like, this is going to be amazing. And then you hear the vocals and it's, I don't know, maybe they could have got somebody else to do it or change the song, but I found it really it really took away from it. And they, they tried to mix the vocals over the beat more at a, at a similar level so that it sounds more like it's harmonizing. It just, it didn't work, sadly. All right, so we're coming down to the, the last couple tracks here on the album. I'll just say Forever Dropping Tears. I'm pretty sure, and, and it was, this, there was actually a second track list that Conway had put out in mid, mid-August where Forever Dropping Tears was the closing track, and you can tell why. And he, especially with the final verse being about DJ Shea and with the DJ Shea outro, we, we didn't, haven't spoken about it, but the interludes throughout with DJ, DJ Shea speaking about Conway and Benny and West Side Gun and the whole Griselda movement. Those were a really nice touch. And it was one of the more emotional tracks I'd heard from Conway. So it was interesting that that was supposed to be the closing track on the album. And it definitely sounds like a closing track, especially with that outro interlude by DJ Shea. And then the last two tracks we got was a little weird. They they felt like they, they were the ending. I don't have much to say about the penultimate track. It's fine. Other than my favorite line on the album is lyrics written in Braille. You got to feel it to understand. That's good. Nothing Less is a phenomenal production by DJ Premier. Somehow he's still doing this. Mm-hmm. And it this one, again, this worked in the fact that Forever Dropping Tears sounds like the last song on the album. And then Nothing Less sounds like when you're rolling the credits. So I really exactly. like that touch. 
I got the exact same vibe. That's crazy. It's it's just the super calm Conway, and uh, it's a good way to end the album. I, I guess it, even if it is the the roll credits moments, it just I I don't know if you noticed, but to me at least, I was a big Wale fan, especially for the the album about nothing. And it's to me, it sounds like a lot like uh, he's doing that a bit. Yeah, no. Now that you bring it up, I haven't listened to that album in a, in a bit, but yeah, it definitely sounds a little bit like that. And also, you can tell that this song was recorded recently because he references a basketball game that happened on August twenty third. I love that. Yeah, so you can tell that this came in real last second, and maybe Conway just wanted to end the album a little bit differently than with Forever Dropping Tears. Either way, it's honest. It's a really good ending to what I think is a really strong album. It's Conway's longest album, about just under 50 minutes. And I don't think it's going to be his best album, and nor is Lulu for that matter, which is, again, the collaboration album he did with The Alchemist. But I can clearly see now that Conway is building up to what will eventually be his best album. I don't know if it's going to be the next album, but I think we're getting there. I think we've seen incremental growth in Conway. Again, he's dropping two, three projects a year that we can really see. And I think we've seen a massive growth here. And like he was already a great rapper in 2018 and 2019. But now the three projects he's put out in 2020 has really, I think, elevated him from king to a god, in his words. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so let's move on now to uh, hit, up, hit up a couple singles that came out this past week. We're going to start with T.I. and Young Thug's Ring. I'm pretty sure this is, I don't know if it's the second or third time that these guys have recorded together. I know about the money that was a big track back in 2013 and i'll just say this song is just really fun it's nice to hear ti really ride a beat and be really smooth on it and i love his references to ig and twitter on it and then young thug is still the king of sneaking in absolutely disgusting lines in his music i'm not going to mention it but just if you listen to the hook properly you know which line i'm talking about it just the way he can just manipulate his voice to where you just it, his voice almost sounds like an instrument to the point where you don't even know what he's saying. But again, if you read the lyrics of the hook, you know exactly which lines I'm talking about. But it's still great. It sounds great. I loved it. Yeah, I think we all we all know. We'll we'll leave it at that. But uh, just before I actually get into the song, before the song was officially announced, we saw pictures of Ti and Thug together, which was alluding to this collaboration, and they were shooting the video, which for what will be this this song i believe it drops at the end of this month and they're shooting at these at the underground bunker that's in batman the dark knight if you remember the ceilings all light panels i'm not sure if you remember it oh wow but seeing that yeah seeing that i was already intrigued because when a song hasn't even dropped and they're doing this level of, of production you you see that there's there's something to be worked on there there it's not just a throwaway song it just tells me that the music has to be at least halfway decent and obviously it's ti and thug so it's going to be great off rip the beat goes really hard. Ti and, and Thugs flow on it. Uh, it was really great. I, I really enjoyed this song. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm willing to put money on it that this is for Ti's new album. The man has dropped hmm? on every even numbered year since 2004. Ooh, that's an interesting take. I, I definitely see him ramping up for an album. So yeah, I think that goes all the way back to I want to say it's Urban Legend is 2004, and the most recent one. He's been a little bit hit or miss these past ten years. You know, I think. I thought No Mercy was mostly a miss. I thought Trouble Man was mostly good. I thought Paperwork was mostly bad. I thought uh, I thought 2016's Us or Else was really good. And then Dime Trap in 2018 was not so great. So it feels like it. And he's also turning 40 years old. He did a quick little interview with XXL this past weekend where he kind of lightly agreed or, to the rumors of an album coming out. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get something new from TI. And if it's something like that along the lines of what we heard on Ring, I'm, I'm all for it. Next track I wanted to get into here was Trippy Red and Busta Rhymes, I Got You. Adam, what'd you think? 
<laughs> I never thought this collaboration would happen, and I don't think I was wrong for thinking that. When, when I heard this song was coming, I was insanely surprised. I know, I know Busta's been working on a new album. I guess every all the old heads are now coming back. They got a lot of time during this uh, quarantine, I guess. But I know he's been working music and uh, he's ramping up for an album. So the fact that he's doing some collabs to hype that up makes a lot of sense. But I don't think a love song with Trippy Red was the best choice. What did you think? Yeah, okay. So let's start with Trippy here because that's the much more, it's a much clearer through line. Trippy's fine when he makes songs about being in love or breaking up. So like in that line, it's it's fully within his realm. He was fine on it. I enjoy when Trippy makes these tracks. It's It's very... The stakes are never very high on a Trippy Red song, and that's fine. He is in the same realm of what Juice World was, where he makes these type of emo love songs. So it's it's from his standpoint, it's great. Now, Busta. I don't think the verse is as bad as people have made it out to be, but like then again, there's a reason, and I didn't know he's putting out an album. This is a little bit concerning. There's a reason Busta has not put out an album in a decade. He definitely sounds rusty here. Yep. I don't doubt that he can put out something average to good, but you can tell in the way he he changes his vocal registry several times to one point where he sounds like a crusty old man. And then he, there are other times where he sounds like the regular bubbly Busta Rhymes that we know from 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, you can definitely tell that he, he hasn't been focusing on music or is, is expanding his vocal palette very much in recent years. I know he's, he throws out features every now and again, but it's it's never been hard hitting for me. I found it to just be hilarious to hear this like giant ripped ultra deep voice Busta trying to deliver this like softer, more intimate performance that I'm not that familiar with. It's kind of like seeing a pit bull in like a tutu or something. Yeah, uh, I will say I wonder if this was more of like a meme song than than to be taken serious. Trippy's performance seems serious, but in my head, I'm wondering if they they're thinking, oh, this song, even if it doesn't hit hard on Billboard, it'll go viral. Maybe some memes will come that could garner them a bunch of attention. Yeah, and I, I think part of it has to be with the sample, right? Like this song heavily samples. I know what you want from Busta and Mariah Carey. So I'm wondering if first they got they had to get the sample cleared uh, from Busta and Busta just said, "Get on that." Can I get on the you know, <laughs> can I get on the track? And I'm sure Trippy was like, "Sure, yeah, no problem. You're Busta Rhymes like that. Yeah. That sounds great." The only thing I'll say about the sample itself is it's kind of like when Logic's album came out two months ago or a month and a half ago, and there were a couple songs that heavily sampled old Outkast tracks, which were Elevators and Spodiody Dopalicious, and I got to the point where great you use this sample but i really just want to listen to those tracks now and the same thing happens here where i hear this song and it's fine but the moment we get to the hook i'm just going through my streaming service here and being like okay let me just find the bust of rhymes track which of course is like 10 times better than this track i don't think it was trying to meet how good the original was but people just have to be a little bit careful when they really heavily use a sample that's very recognizable that it doesn't just make me switch you off and listen to the old version. Yeah, because it's instantly that your album is now, or your song is now compared to that, and it likely pales in comparison. Okay, and now let's get to the our third and final single of the week, and this is Baptized by Spillage Village, which is now the second single off their upcoming album, Spillagian. There's no way that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> it's Spillagian. Spillagian. Like, like pigeon? Spilling pigeons? Uh I oh think boy. it's it's just this is such a bad name, whatever. I think it's spillage and religion. Oh, okay. And just for those unaware, Spillage Village is an Atlantic collective that is mostly led by Earth Gang and JID, although they do get help from other Atlanta artists like Hollywood JB and Black. 
But listening to the intro of the song, I thought just the first couple seconds, the beat was going to be a really big part of it. It sounded great. And then you get into Olu where Johnny Venus comes in and holy does he kill it. The the beat basically takes the takes the back seat to his crazy vocals and his flow. It, it's almost like spoken word and the beat is more of an afterthought. And I was like super impressed by that. What did you think? Yeah, it's it's this interesting thing on the song where it starts and you're like, okay, it's fine. And then the, the, the 808s kick in and that's really impactful. And then you have this like, really emphatic chanting loop going on you're like oh now that's the most attend the thing that's like drawing my ear and then that first verse kicks in and you're like oh no this is the most exciting thing like it was just this kind of like one-upsmanship within the song itself between the intro and then the beat and the drums and then the chanting and then the verse and then you know then the hook kicks in and then jid's verse comes in it was just the song just continued to elevate and you know all all three verses they they all have multiple references to religion and i love jid's line about sipping gin reading the book of genesis so there's i this is a really well crafted song from the beat to the first verse which was phenomenal all the way through and then there's a wonderful outro here where you have aunt clemens who we most recently heard we didn't bring it up but on corday's gifted and then you heard a lot of this on kanye's jesus is king so honestly it's such an incredible song that it was almost like you listen to it in its entirety and you just kind of want to restart it because there are so many different steps and evolutions to the song that you don't get sick of it in three, four, five listens. Yeah, I agree. Like all performances on it were outstanding. It's a lot of times when there's such a big collaboration, you can find a weak point in the song. And I didn't find that in this case. I was very impressed throughout all of them. Uh, it sounds like we differ on the outro, though. I, I did not like where it changes to like this dubstep house remix. I think that was a poor choice to end this beautiful song just for me it just it sounded like something kanye would have done like 10 years ago really oh and not saying not not saying he would have pulled it off but like mm-hmm. the way it just sounds as you're you're going you're ending the song and anyways i i really liked it and then in the video it closes with a really moving quote from american political activist angela davis where it says i'm no longer accepting the things i cannot change i'm changing the things i cannot accept very powerful the video is very unapologetically black and it was mm-hmm really nice to see that a really well-made video here cinematically very beautiful i loved it yeah all right so the last thing we wanted to get to this week was bob's eighth studio album somnia so what we wanted to do here it's, i feel like it's been a minute since a lot of people have checked in with bob so adam what'd you first think of the album itself i have to admit when this project dropped i was very hesitant to even listen to it let alone to review it the reason being is I, at one point, and I believe you as well, were really big B.O.B. fans. I got into him after hearing B.O.B. vs. Bobby Ray, the mixtape, and I think it was 2009. And he obviously blew up off the single airplanes, got the Eminem remix, and he was huge at that point. And I really saw a lot of potential in him from a singing and a lyrical standpoint. There was so much. And I was checking on his, his work, and I listened to every mixtape. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a fanboy, but I literally... As close as it gets to it, I was a fanboy for for B.O.B. for a while. And I even remember rushing out when uh, Strange Clouds came out. I went and bought a physical copy of the CD, which I'm not known to do very often. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's sad for me just because his music was just, it was on a steady decline at one point. And everything outside of music made it so much harder to be a fan of his, mixed with the fact that the music was now the production and everything was just, it was downpouring, unfortunately. So... I was actually pleasantly surprised. I want to talk maybe first about the album. I'm sure there, this has part to do, while I was like pleasantly surprised about the album, I'm sure part of it has to do with 
the fact that I have essentially non-existent expectations of B.O.B. these days. And the fact that I might have some nostalgia, like you mentioned there, when listening to him, that it affects my objectivity when listening to his music almost to a point where I'm rooting for him to make a good song where it might affect whether or not it's actually a good song. I might just assume it is. I will say the album within itself, it puts you in a bit of a trance. You know, it's definitely an album, I think, worthy of playing at night or while you're driving around on like a cool day. Because there are a lot of trap elements in this song and he doesn't go too over the top with it. So like on a, on a, on a song, the opening track After Hours produced by Tay Keith, you know, Bob's flow is on his first verse is very classic trap B.O.B. that we've gone now probably since about 2012, 2013. And he still has the smooth voice that makes you feel like you're side by side with him and he's just a normal guy. It sounds like we have some of the same points and it makes sense. I was, I'll say I was impressed by this album, but it's by no means his best body of work. It's just considering the mountain of garbage that he's dropped. It's at least at the top of that, I would say. This is, uh, you had mentioned, essentially a modern twist on his core sound, which he's known to do. He's always had trap elements since it's been around. He's he's known to pick and grab elements of other music and bring them in. I think that what makes him such a good artist. And he's always been a very talented singer. I'll commend him for keeping that on point. We just mentioned Busta, who's probably not been necessarily spending his whole time making music, where it seems like for the last part of the decade, the better part of the decade, B.O.B. has been. And most modern artists would have given up by now making music or for being blackballed as hard as he has. So big ups to him for definitely for keeping it. That's that's something core for me. Yeah, it's, again, generally with this album, other songs like ZZZ's and $40, like I thought they were actually pretty good tracks. And it was enjoyable. It's a short album. It's only about 30 minutes. And there are, there are definitely some duds in there. But overall, and I'm not sure this is the album that turns it around for B.O.B. I'm not sure that's possible at this stage. And not necessarily like a need. So I think we have to preface before we get we're going to get into his like career trajectory. B.O.B. has had a career more successful than 90% of rappers. Mm-hmm. So on this album here, you know, he put something that was listenable on an album. And it was enjoyable for the most part. And he kind of strayed away from his conspiracy theory stuff, which was nice. <laughs> Thankfully. It was interesting. He did a, a little interview with a website. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name. Where he mentioned that, you know, he still works with the band and they still incorporate different actual instruments on songs. And I thought it was weird for a moment because I'd already listened to the album at that point. And I'm like, well, this is mostly trap music. Like It's all like electronically made. And he actually admits to that. He's like, yeah, we know what you're saying. Like there's trap elements on it but we still have some instruments on it. so i went back and listened on tracks like 40 dollars. you can actually hear like a bass guitar and there's a little bit of a snare drum at one point so there are still elements and we're gonna, we should start transitioning now into bob's career so far there are still elements of what made him so special early on that exists within him so i i do think there's potential for him to not totally recover but still have a great moment in hip-hop yeah, I agree. I think he could still, there's a lot of fans, maybe even myself, I haven't fully decided yet who would be willing to give him another chance, especially given this project. Okay, so B.O.B.'s career for most people, I would say, started around 2009 where we, we got into him. And so there's the B.O.B. versus Bobby Ray mixtape, and then he slowly exploded beyond that. At this stage, I'll say B.O.B. is known for two things. His massive pop hits specifically nothing on you in airplanes and his flat earth beliefs <laughs> at this point it's almost you cannot separate the two that is what he is known for when you think bob you think about the guy who did airplanes and you think about the guy with all his conspiracy theories and that's it's kind of been a gift and a curse to have the pop hits 
and now the curse has definitely been all his flat earth theories but i will say overall before all the conspiracy theory things and i don't really want to get into that much today his run from 2009 to 2013 was really good and has become really really underrated he never now he never delivered an album i think that met most people including myself what we thought he could produce like there are times early on in 2009 where you listen to him and it was weird. Like he was getting compared to Andre 3000. Oh, for real. Like that sounds absolutely ridiculous right now, but it was not far-fetched in 2009, 2010. And I think he got kind of close on some of these records. Like on, we've mentioned a few times, B.O.B. versus Bobby Ray. And I do think the No Genre mixtape from 2010, which again, they're both mixtapes. And I think that's a really big classification we have to make here because nowadays when we say mixtapes and albums, they're the same thing. But 10 years ago, there was a massive difference between what your label agreed to put out and what you put out for free on the side. So it wasn't an accident, I think, that his two best bodies of work, in my opinion, were mixtapes. Yeah, I think that's actually a really, really valid point. And another thing that you just mentioned was uh, his comparisons early on in his career. I think that has a lot to do. It's it's very difficult on your mental health when people are constantly comparing you to these people, saying you're the next Andre 3000 or whoever. Like That's a crazy comparison to live up to in my book. So I think that has a lot to do with these, these struggles that he's had in his career. Yeah, so... Let's let's start not necessarily start. We don't have to go super in chronological order here, but 2010 is The Adventures of Bobby Ray, his debut album. Nothing on You and Airplanes both on this, two massive pop singles. So, and I remember thinking back when his album dropped and that his first week numbers were not that high. You know, he did about 84,000 on his first week. And I was like, oh, that seems pretty low for a guy that has two number one songs. Or I'm not sure if Airplanes actually ever got to number one, but it seemed pretty low. And an interesting artist to compare him to, I think, would be Kid Cudi. Absolutely. So both of these guys dropped their first two albums roughly within the same time. So B.O.B.'s debut album sold 84,000 in its first week. Kid Cudi's debut album, Man on the Moon, sold 104,000. So there's a little bit of a difference between them, but not too much. And then I guess because this is maybe like a, a big broad point about Bob is he made his mark on crossover hits and not necessarily intentionally. He just happened to make really good songs. And I think when you make pop songs, and we've seen this with artists like Flo Rida and even to a certain extent with Tyga, when you make songs that are really dependent on radio and crossover fans, you have tend to have a smaller loyal fan base. And I think this is what happened with B.O.B. The fact that he initially came up with B.O.B. versus Bobby Ray and then had these two massive pop singles in his fan base you'd, th- you'd think would get huge. But in fact, people were just stopping by to listen to a couple songs. And I think that crystallized in my mind when on his second album, Strange Clouds, he had a song with Taylor Swift on it. And you would assume, I know I did, that was going to become a massive hit. Like most people don't even know those two made a song together. Part of it might just be the label didn't get behind it. You have to grease a couple wheels to get your songs on radio 10 years ago. So that might have played with it. And then B.O.B.'s second album sold 76,000. So he actually sold less on his second album than his first album. Kid Cudi, on the other hand, who, you know, Day and Night was big, but he didn't really make his mark off of that. He created this, this sound and he was emotionally vulnerable on his music. And then while he also tried to do a pop single on his second album, Erase Me, which I think now has become a more popular song than it was back in the day, when it came out, it pretty much flopped. And then Kid Cudi's first week numbers for his second album were 169. So these two guys, like Cudi's album first week sales increased by 60,000 while Bob's went down by 10,000. And I think a lot of that has to be because 
B.O.B. was not able to cultivate a loyal following because he became known as the guy for the pop singles and people who put out pop singles just tend to not garner long-term fans. I absolutely love that comparison and the deep dive you went in there. It's ironic. I had also come up with, uh, I was comparing more of their, their struggles in life, their their personal lives and their career, but it's crazy that you you drew the same parallel and how, how deep you went into that. I can appreciate that. I I agree that Cuddy, he, he became the voice of like a generation almost. I don't want to label it so hard, but like everybody, people who aren't even hip hop fans love, uh, love Kid Cuddy. And B.O.B. has that same effect, but it's it's to a it's like a pop standard. Like you said, like Fairbrother fans that come and go, they're not like diehards. And I think that is definitely a, a crucial limitation in his career. OK, so then by the time we get to the end of 2012, B.O.B. started to change up his sound a little bit. So the first time you hear it is on his FM We Ball mixtape, where there's a noticeable change from pop rap to trap rap. And I believe there's an interview he did with 106 and Park when he was promoting his 2013 album, Underground Luxury, where he mentioned that he wanted to hear his songs in the club, that he'd go out to clubs in Atlanta and ain't nobody playing airplanes or nothing on you. So he definitely decided there he wanted to change his sound. And this again here, I think, where he had already gone from this clever, creative guy who plays the guitar, who plays the piano, who can sing, who can rap, to unfortunately or fortunately again because they were massively successful making songs that were really pop heavy and now he was switching again to trap rap so again here it was hard for him to cultivate a loyal following i think like as good as his early music was it was definitely not something that would meet being a club record and the fact is that that's what he wanted it seems like he's chasing the wrong thing at the wrong time throughout his entire career almost when he's going after the pops is when he should be working about like a core fan base. And when he wants the club bangers, nobody's even there to listen to him to begin with. Yeah, I think so. We still in this bitch was, I think, the big inflection point where he actually got a successful trap song. And then it's followed up pretty quickly by Headbands, which has become, like I don't know, his third or fourth most popular track. Really good song. And that more or less can confirm the the change in his sound to being a trap rapper. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was still, again, chasing a pop single to some degree. Like, he seems, he's a real artist, but he wants the admiration. He wants to be adored. And it's understandable because he got it so early in his career. But I think he's, at least in the early 2010s, he had his, he didn't have his priorities straight as far as being a musician. Yeah, and it's, again, I do think he still had, you know, he had a good 2013 with Underground Luxury. 2014 was honestly still decent. You know, he had the features with on T-Pain's Up Down and Tech Nine's Paranoid. And put out two pretty decent mixtapes with No Genre 2 and New Black. So there's highlights here and there. And then once we get to 2015, it's when there's a real dip, I think, both in quality of music and his perception by the public. 2015 is exactly when I have notes that I've basically stopped listening to anything new that he would produce until I would check in every now and again, especially like little interviews he would do. He would do weird. He was doing really weird music videos. I would check in, but like I didn't have that admiration I once did. I lost that. Yeah, it, it's hard to make like politically conscious rap like he did on New Black, the 2014 mixtape, and then also have trap music, which he did a lot with the Underground Luxury album, and then also start putting out these conspiracy theories. And it just, there's nothing wrong with thinking independently and having people prove to you their beliefs, not just be a blind sheep following the herd. 
but it definitely got to a point where B.O.B. where it seemed like it was a lot more attention seeking. Again, like you mentioned earlier, maybe because he was never quite able to latch on to a strong fan base. So he just kept chasing something different. And the last part when the quality of music started to drop off must have been or might have been these conspiracy theories. That being all said, I think this is a good base to maybe, like you said, I don't think he'll ever reach the the heights that he has with airplanes or anything like that, but he could still have a core fan base that'll allow his career to live on. And I think this is a good stepping stone towards that, assuming he wants uh, this type of fan base. Yeah, again, I don't think the talent disappears. I think he's still the same guy that once went on Jimmy Kimmel and played the piano while rapping three verses. And he's the same guy that made awesome songs like Voltage from back in 2009. So the talent is still there. He still has the voice. You know, I think there's something possible here. I think he can make a nice comeback and at least regain some of the momentum he had. Again, like B.O.B. has a double platinum album, a platinum album and a gold album. So again, his career is more successful than 90% of rappers out here. That said, it's been tough for a little bit. I think Somnia is a nice step in the right direction, even if it's a very, very subtle step. So hopefully there's more positive things coming out of B.O.B. in the future. So that's about all we'll have for today. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also go on YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll likely be putting up some exclusive content on there this week, so be on the lookout for that. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Trinity Music Pod. Also, spread the word of the podcast to your coworkers, your roommates, the guys in your softball team, basically anyone you'll come across over the next week or so. Until then, have a good one. <laughs>